0: Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, evangelist TJ Malkanji. Carrying a victory mentality. I want to start off by reading Hebrews chapter 11, because I want to show you that the Bible is a victory book. I want to show you from the scriptures that the Bible is a book about ordinary men and ordinary women who connected to God by faith and saw supernatural, extraordinary things. The Bible, in a nutshell, is a documentation of ordinary men and natural men and women who connected by faith to God himself and produced supernatural, extraordinary things as a result of it. The Bible is a victory book. There's no defeat. The only time the Bible speaks about defeat is in reference to the devil. Colossians 2.14, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers and ma- and spoiled the devil openly, making him a public humiliation, triumphing over him at the cross. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, in speaking of the defeat of the devil, that there's actually going to be a day... In, uh, in eternity where we're actually going to pass by the devil. All of creation, Christians and non-Christians, we're going to pass by the devil, see him defeated, see him with his cracked skull opened up because Jesus dealt him a blow on his head, the Bible says. And the people are actually look at him and say, is this the man? Is this the man that made kingdoms tremble? Is this the one that made nations fall? Is this the one that caused ruckus on the earth? The Bible says that there's going to be people that say, I wish I had seen what he looked like before and I wouldn't have been taken advantage of him. So the only time the Bible talks about defeat or failure is in reference to the devil and his work. By the way, if you're just tuning in now, you'd do great help to me. If you would like this on YouTube and share the broadcast on Facebook. Also, as you comment, comment as much as you can, comment as much as you want. All of these help us get this message out to as many people as possible. So please help us share this broadcast on Facebook and on YouTube. Like, smash that like button. Hit that like button if you haven't already. So the Bible only talks about defeat in reference to the devil. And you can see, you can read the history of the Bible. It's literally the devil rising up against God's people and God anointing a man or a woman with the Holy Ghost and power and through them delivering people from the bondage of Satan and causing the plans of Satan to miscarry and backfire because of God's plan. So Hebrews 11 is the heroes of faith chapter where the writer of Hebrews goes through The victories that people have obtained by faith. And if you're going to have a victory mentality, you have to first and foremost have an attitude of faith. Have a faith mindset. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is going to help a lot of people today. Mark my words. This is what changed in me. This is what caused me... There's a lot of people, they say, I wish I had the faith that you have. I wish I had, you know, that, that spirit you have, that Joshua spirit. I'm going to show you today five things that you can Uh, change in your mindset that will actually produce a Joshua Caleb spirit, another, the Bible calls it another spirit in Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to show you things that you can implement even today, practical ways to carry in a champion mentality. Remember, Jesus is the champion of our faith. Faith produces champions in life. And if you're going to have that champion mindset, There's things you're going to have to switch. You know, in Hebrews, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, Paul says this, he says, you should put off the old man. He says, you once walked according to the mindsets of the world. He says, you once were in ignorance to the things of God and were futile in your minds and your hearts were darkened because of no understanding being present in you. Moreover, the Bible says, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, that uh, you once were disconnected, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in you. So he said, you never had this mind. You remember, Paul says in Philippians 2, "You should have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You should have this attitude in you which was in Christ Jesus." And so Jesus had a certain attitude about himself. Jesus had a certain mentality that he carried. And Paul says in Ephesians 4, we are to put off the old attitude. We're to put off the old mindset. We're to put off the old mentality, that victim mentality. You know, the devil's working overtime today to get this generation to constantly confess, there's, there's a, everybody's against me. I feel like life is hard. I feel like there's a system in place to stop my advancement. And you have this demonic, deception that's creeping even into the church, that everyone's blaming a they, everybody's blaming someone else for their problems well if only they were not in my way, I'd be able to have this if only there wasn't a system designed to stop me, then I'd be able to have this, if only, there's all these excuses that are being made up all because people haven't developed a victory mind, when you get the word of God in you, it changes your mind to put Put on a victory mentality. Paul said, put off the old man. Put off, get away with the excuses. And he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new man, which is created in the likeness of God. Put on the new man, which is created in the likeness of God. Put on the new mindset. Put on this new mentality that David had. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the other Israelites that heard Goliath speak but did nothing about it. I want to be I want to be the David in my generation. I don't want to be the 10 spies that came back and gave an evil report of unbelief, making a bunch of cheap excuses as to why they couldn't possess the land, as to why they didn't have it, as to why they couldn't get the victory. The Bible doesn't make excuses as to why people don't get the victory. The Bible shows you how to get the victory every single time without excuse. Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if all you're doing is, that's where we have. We have a bunch of dreamers. I heard someone say recently, dreamers don't get up and make the bed. They sleep and they slumber. Dreamers... It's everything's wishful thinking. Everything is about what they wish they had. It's all in desire. But do you understand that a desire that is pushed off, the Bible says, hope that is deferred makes the heart sick. This is why we have a lot of depressed Christians. They have a bunch of vision. They have a bunch of dreams, but they don't have a victim mindset that allows them to put their hand to the plow for the accomplishment of these dreams. And as a result, the Bible says their hearts become weighed down and their hearts become sick because hope deferred makes the heart sick faith which the victor mindset is based on the spirit of faith and that's why the writer of hebrews says now faith is what substantializes the dreams it's what makes a dream become a reality it's what makes a promise become a reality. It's what makes something that was just in your heart come to manifestation where you can actually handle it. Faith substantializes. It brings substance out of the dream. Kenneth Hagin used to say it this way. He says that faith is is what stretches deep into the unseen realm of hope, the realm of desire, And faith is what brings down what is in the realm of hope into the realm of reality. The evidence, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it doesn't stop there. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. I love how the um, Amplified Translation renders this verse. And I'm going to pull it up because I I think it bears reading. Hebrews chapter 11 in the Amplified Classic Which, if you don't know about the Amplified version, it's an extremely useful version and it amplifies everything the writer is saying. It brings out the different Greek meanings of the words without you having to go into a concordance and actually looking up all those Greek, those Greek words. So this is what the Amplified version, this is the original Greek amplified so that we can read it in modern English what the writer was really getting at. Now, faith is the assurance The confirmation or the title deed of the things we hope for. Being the proof of things we don't yet see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceives as real fact that which is not yet revealed to the natural senses. Oh, hallelujah. Faith is the title deed of things we hope for. When you go and purchase land, let's say you went into the middle of nowhere, up north somewhere in country, in the country, and you purchased land there. Now, you might go home, and someone might challenge, they might say, do you have any land anywhere? And they say, well, yeah, I have land up north. Well, prove it. You can go out and literally pull out a title deed. Like a pink slip for a car, but a title deed. It's the certificate of ownership for the land that you own. And you can show them legally that the square footage up north in that particular region belongs to you. Now, you you can tell that person, you might not see it. I may not have my name on the ground there. You might not have, through the senses been able to visibly perceive it however it belongs to me because I have the title deed it's been signed over to me I have legal ownership of that thing well that's what faith does faith gives you the title deed it shows you what you have legal ownership of so when I'm talking about a victory mentality oftentimes you have people that are deflated and defeated because they don't yet see the accomplishing of the vision they don't see the promise manifest and so they say things like well I won't speak it unless I see it. Well, welcome to the club, Thomas the Doubter, because Thomas said the same thing. He said, Unless I put my fingers in the print of his hands and I put my hand in his side, I'll by no means believe. Thomas wanted to see in order to believe, but Jesus said, Blessed is he who, though yet he has not seen, yet he still believes. He has the title deed. I don't have to see healing to know that healing belongs to me. I don't have to see prosperity to know that prosperity belongs to me. I don't have to see victory over sin to know that victory over sin belongs to me. I don't have to see I've never seen Jesus in his resurrected form, but I know he belongs to me because faith is the title deed. It's the proof of ownership. It 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 is it, faith perceives Without the natural senses, it it has the conviction of the reality. Faith perceives as fact that which is not yet revealed to the senses. And so, what is the writer of Hebrews going to say? When you have this type of faith... So he goes to give you an explanation, a description, a definition of faith, and then he moves on in verse 2 and says, when you have that type of faith, where you're not waiting to see it, to believe it, but you believe it regardless of who says it doesn't exist, regardless of people who say it's not there, you know it's there, because faith has a different filter. And he goes on to say, for by faith, the elders obtained a good rapport. So faith will bring victory. Faith will allow you to Obtain a good report. Notice how it doesn't say faith sometimes loses, sometimes wins, but we got to just leave it up to God. No, faith obtains a good report. Don't change the Bible. The Bible says what it means and God meant what he said. You don't modify it based on what you've seen. There's so many people, well, I know it's in the Bible, but you know, in my experience, I don't care about your experience. I don't care about what you've seen. I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but I just just want to be blunt with you today what other people's experience dictate does not dictate what goes on in my life if the Bible even says in Psalm 91 a thousand can follow your side 10,000 to your right hand but if you'll stay in faith it will not come near you for he gives his angels charge concerning you in all your ways they shall bear you up and you will not dash your foot against a stone and you know it's called sensual believers Paul warns us against sensual believers he says don't have come with sensual believers, what does he mean by that? Believers that are led by the senses—they're carnally minded. They only—they're influenced by what they see in the natural. The word of God means nothing to them. The faith message means nothing to them. Do you have? Do you have any idea how many people actually come against this message that I'm preaching right now? It's laced all throughout the Bible. Jesus never rebuked faith. He rebuked unbelief. Jesus actually said, how long shall I put up with you, you faithless generation? Jesus cannot stand faithlessness. Jesus could not stand unbelief. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3 that we are to beware lest any of us come into an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief is on the same level as evil in the sight of God. The Bible goes on to say in verse 6 of this very chapter of Hebrews 11, That without faith, it's impossible to please God. But mark my words, you're going to have preachers that criticize people like me because I'm preaching faith. Because I'm telling people that you can obtain a good report. You don't have to be defeated. You don't have to give up and quit. You don't have to fall to the devil's tactics and antics. You can stand in faith and possess the possessions and the promises God has given to you. Every promise of God is yes and yes. And amen in Christ Jesus. By faith, the elders obtain a good report. How I many of you know we can believe, but God decides the outcome? The outcome is a good report, and if it ain't a good report, then it ain't the outcome God desired to bring. Don't let deflated preaching come into your, your ears. That's deflated preaching. These are preachers who have they, they tried it once, it didn't work, and so they've, def- they've totally abandoned the message and they've come up with their own twists and turns and their own version of it. These explanations. You know, I heard a man, a preacher, say that the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues could not be available to the believer today. And he says this, because in the Pentecostal circles, Those that have the gift of tongues, oftentimes their theology is not perfect. And if God was going to give this tongues to anybody, it would certainly not be to somebody who has imperfect theology. I sat there thinking, who do you think you are? Nobody has perfect theology. We can get as close and should aspire to get as close to the Bible as possibly can in our good conscience and, and, and in, our, in our hearts. But at the same time, there's things that I'm modifying daily. There's things I believe that I, I, I'm switching because the Lord's shown me from his word that it was not so. It was not so, so even I'm being corrected. Don't ever let anybody say, I know it all. The moment the person says, I know it all, you can know he knows nothing at all. And so this preacher actually said out of his mouth that if God was going to give tongues to anybody, it wouldn't be to them because they have imperfect theology. Do you know that the disciples in Acts chapter 2, when they received the gift of tongues, they had imperfect theology, you understand, that they were still figuring things out? It wasn't until years later that Peter starts to write his epistles. It wasn't until years later James writes his epistle. It wasn't until years later that they actually really got a firm grasp of everything and through the the Pauline epistles, that's when there was like a really firm grasp on the reality of redemption and what Jesus came to do. So if the gift of tongues was, not, was only for those that had perfect theology, I guarantee you the early church, the first 12 disciples that were in that upper room would not have had it. They were still figuring things out. The Holy Ghost was actually sent, Jesus said, to guide them into all truth. So you understand, this preacher probably prayed one day to receive... The baptism in the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, he didn't get it. And as a result, he's thrown the baby out with the bathwater. He's turned his theology, he's lowered his theology to get him to the same level of experience. Do not fall into that trap. I repeat, do not fall into that trap. Experience should line up with theology, not theology line up with experience. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts... And through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not see death. And he was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that do diligently seek him by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a Foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, for the heirs with them of the same promise. For he waited for that city, and that has foundations was Maker and Builder is God. By faith Sarah herself herself received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. By verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Ab- of, uh, of, 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 uh, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on his staff. You go on, you just see, by faith and then victory. You see, by faith and then what God did. Faith attracts victory. Faith is a magnet for victory. Unbelief is a magnet for defeat. And too many believers are deflated and defeated, mainly because they have bought the lie of the devil, that life is just a random series of events, and you just need to learn to ride the roller coaster of life. Preachers telling Christians that there's no prize in serving God, that there's no rewards, no profitability. You should just do it to do it. You know that's what Islam teaches. We're not Muslims. The Bible says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder, that he brings victory to those that diligently seek him. You look at Paul's writings. Paul certainly did not teach a theology of defeat or a theology of, 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 uh, of failure. Listen to the, to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The first thing I want to do on this broadcast is to pump into you the reality, the truth that God wants to see you through to the victory no matter the battle that you're 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 uh, you're in right now. No matter the opposition, no matter the obstacle, no matter the mountain that stands in your way, no matter the impossible odds that are against you, God wants to see you through to the victory. No matter the demon, no matter the devil, no matter the system, no matter the plan. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians nine 24. Don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one can receive the prize. So run in such a way that you may win. Hallelujah. Run in such a way that you may win. God did not send Jesus to produce a bunch of losers. He sent Jesus to produce overcomers, winners. Now, I'm not saying there's never going to be challenges. The very fact I'm preaching this broadcast right now is because there will be challenges. And some of yourselves are finding yourselves in these challenges impossible situations and challenges and if you don't adapt to these five mentalities which form the victory mindset you're going to be a victim your entire life rather than rise into the place of victor paul says run in such a way that you may win everyone who competes in athletics does it for temporal prizes everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things meaning he's disciplined, and athletes, I love how Paul writes many of his letters, he talks, he compares the Christian with an athlete, you know, when, when a, an athlete is competing for the Olympics, he doesn't start training three weeks before the Olympics, he actually has four years to get himself in shape, and, and, and in top shape to win the prize, he spends four years Waking up early, working out six, seven times a week, getting his body in check, bringing his body under so that he has a chance, a shot to win the prize. And Paul says those people are doing it to win, what, an Olympic gold medal? And matter of fact, when Paul's writing this, the perishable crown, if you study in the Greek, it was the medal that they gave Olympians um, that were... That was like a, It was like a wreath that they would put on their head. It wasn't even a metal, It was a wreath. And the wreath was so perishable that this moment it was actually formed and shaped and produced, that's when it started decaying because it was filled with flowers and all that stuff. So they're working overtime to obtain this... This wreath on their head that's going to perish within days, a flower that's going to fade. He said, But we're doing it, we're to be disciplined because we want to obtain not only victory in this life, but the ultimate victory where we will receive an imperishable crown, a crown that does not fade away. So Paul says in verse 26, So therefore, because I'm doing it for an imperishable crown, I run thus, not with uncertainty, I'm not double minded. I'm not one week doing all right, and the next week, you know, I backslide. No, I have made up my mind. I'm putting my hand to the plow, and whatever my hand finds to do, I'm doing it with all my might. I'm going to locate and identify the plan of God for my life. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to do what God called me to do. I'm going to fulfill heaven's assignment, and I'm going to spend myself. I'm going to... Paul says at the end of his life, he said, I have poured out my life as a drink offering to the Lord. He told Timothy, I want you to cast yourself into your assignment. See, if you're going to have a victory mindset, you have to have this Law of abandonment in you. I've abandoned this world. I've abandoned the flesh. I've abandoned the world system. I've abandoned my own selfish ambition. I've abandoned my own purposes and my own dreams. I'm hooking on to God's dreams for my life. And I'm casting myself in. I'm throwing myself into that assignment. He says, I don't run with uncertainty. I'm not double-minded, going back and forth between what I want to do and what God wants to do. And he says, "I fight as thus, and I call it the champion man. I can't. I call it before the champion mind, because there's a fight. You you can't walk through life thinking it's going to be fun fair flowers and daisies. There's a fight to be had, fight against the flesh. And I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection." He's saying, "Be earnest to." To obtain the prize, to get the victory with the same earnestness that an athlete has in hitting the finish line first. Be disciplined in everything Paul's saying. Fight with the absolute confidence in victory. Maintain a victory mindset as you run and you will win. Paul says in Philippians 3, 3, 14, he says, I press towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press towards the goal. Again, he's talking about an athlete hitting the goal, getting to the finish line. He says, I'm pressing towards the goal. If you don't have a press, now we're not just talking about heaven here. I'm talking about the victory you need today. Heaven, we've done a lot of broadcasts talking about you know, living in, in, in cleanliness and all that and, and making heaven, but today I want to talk about the victory you need today, some of you have sickness in your bodies, some of you have poverty in your life, some of you have marriage problems in your home, some of you, your, your home's haywire, some of you, it's, it's just mental problems, tormenting spirits that are trying to oppress you, whatever it is, some of you, it's a a situation at work, you're about to lose your job, you're facing foreclosure, whatever it is, your business is collapsing, You have to develop this victor's mindset that unless I run with intensity and fight with intensity, with the same intensity that an athlete is fighting with to obtain the finish line, to get the finish line and obtain first prize, you're most likely not going to get there. You not only see the promise, the Bible says we are to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of the promise. And I want to show you from, I've written down several scriptures here that show you God wants you to have victory. God wants, he does not want a generation of believers that are constantly suppressed, oppressed, and depressed. God wants a generation of believers that are more than conquerors, that are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, who is it that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the son of God. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So right there, he's saying, if you have faith in Christ, you are anointed to overcome the world and every situation you might find yourself in this world. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God. I mean, if these scriptures don't convince you that God doesn't want you to be slapped around by the devil and and laid low in life and constantly be struggling and and frustrated and failure and constantly going through vicious cycles of frustration and and just going in circles throughout your entire life, if these scriptures don't do it, I don't know, then you have no... You have no uh, ability to be swayed by what God's word says. If these scriptures don't do it, then you've lost all respect for the word of God. Because this isn't just one or two scriptures. I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures right now that prove to you the will of God is for you to have the victory. The Bible says the path of the just is like the shining sun that as it rises, it shines brighter and brighter even unto that perfect day. The sun doesn't go up in the sky and then go down in the sky and then up in the sky and then go down in the sky. The sun goes up, 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 up until the, no- the Bible says the noonday. That's how the righteous life is supposed to be. It's not to be a series of ups and downs. Paul said it, if you'll behold my word, Jesus, uh, God's word, if you'll behold the word of God and have it with an unveiled face, meaning you have revelation of it, you will go from glory to glory. The psalmist writes that we are to go from strength to strength. Not from weakness to defeat to failure to to loss. Strength to strength. Victory to victory. Faith to faith. Glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be unto God who always leads us to triumph. To what? To triumph. Not to mediocrity. He doesn't lead us to mediocrity. He doesn't lead us... To failure, he leads us to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. Romans eight thirty seven, Nay, in all these things. And he listed a bunch of things. He talks about peril. He talks about affliction. He talks about famine. He says, in all those things, you have become more than conquerors through Jesus who loved you. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of Them all. He delivers them out of them all. He doesn't deliver you out of all, out of some of your battles. He doesn't deliver you out of some of your problems. He says he delivers you out of all of your battles and all of your problems. Joshua 1. Actually, I'm going to read it. Before I read Joshua 1, let me read a few other scriptures. Deuteronomy 28 and 7. Your enemies will come in one way. So it doesn't say you'll never have enemies in life. It says you'll have obstacles. Your enemies will come in one way, but I'll cause them to be defeated before your face and they'll be scattered seven ways. Hallelujah. Notice how defeat is never promised as a reward for obedience to God. How many of you know, you know, we can obey, but the the outcome belongs to the Lord. He just told you what the outcome is gonna be. Matter of fact, the psalmist says, by this I know that the Lord is well pleased with me because my enemies don't triumph over me. Because my enemies don't triumph over me. I know that I'm doing what God's told me to do and everything's right because my enemies aren't triumphing over me. That's what the psalmist said. That's not what I'm saying. You don't go out and say, well, TJ said if I'm having problems in life and they're not going away, it's because I'm I'm not pleasing God. I didn't say that. The psalmist said that if you do things God's way, your enemy will not triumph over you. Not saying you won't have enemies, he just won't have the ability to triumph. Not saying you won't have opposition, it'll come in one way. Bible says, mark my words, the enemy, the opposition will come. But for the child of God, the Bible says, I'll cause them to be defeated before your face. I love how it says before your face, because it doesn't say I'm going to take them in a corner and you won't see it happen. No, you'll you'll have first seat. You'll have a first, uh, first row seating to the defeat of your enemy. God will show you your enemy collapsing. The Bible says in Psalm 23, that thou preparest a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Your enemy will come in one way. God will not only allow you to see the defeat of your enemy, but the enemy will have to watch God lift you up, promote you, and elevate you to a place of victory. Oh, hallelujah. Isaiah 54:14. In righteousness you will be established not you'll be unestablished or you'll be unstable you'll be established in righteousness you'll be far from oppression you will not fear and terror it will not come near you job 36:11 i don't i don't believe god promises victory i just think job 36:11 those who obey and serve me will spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure how do you screw that up Psalm 105, 24, and God increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. Proverbs 19:23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. He that has it will abide in satisfaction, he will not be visited by evil. Meaning, evil will never be able to enter into his home. It could be all around him, but it'll not touch him. Listen to this: Joshua chapter 1, one of the most powerful scriptures in the entire Bible. Joshua. Beginning with the verse cha- first chapter and verse... Let's do verse, verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread on, I will give you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sun towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I mean, do you see any asterisks in there saying... There will be some. God was a little excited that day, and he decided to say no man, but there will be some men that will be... Able. No. It says no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. The Bible is so simple, it takes an educated fool to screw it up. It's so simple. I mean, even if you know we're not promised victory in life. Amen. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you will divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So there's my part to play. I meditate on God's word and I observe to do it. I don't just meditate on it. I don't just have theory. I apply what I learn. I apply what I learn. There's application to theology. And any preaching that doesn't give you practical application is not good preaching. Preaching should bring you to a point of decision to obey God in what he said to do. Any preaching that just, I just want to leave you, to, I mean, I've heard this before, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts today. Then drop the mic. We didn't come here to get a few thoughts. We came to get direction. We came to hear from God and to get instruction. The Bible doesn't say this is a book of promises. The Bible says this is a book of instruction. There's instruction. God's word is a book full of instructions. I like how some people say it. It's Bible, B I B L E, the acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth. They're basic instructions that if you do, I mean, you read the book of Proverbs. Those who don't listen to me, the complacency of fools will destroy them, and they'll go astray in the greatness of their folly. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Proverbs one thirty three. So you see this dichotomy now. You see this 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 um, two sides of the coin. Two sides of uh, not of the coin because it'd be a different coin. Two sides of the spectrum. You have people that that teach the instruction part of it. And they're the ones who have actual application to bring victory, to bring to bring what the Bible promises. And then you have the other side of preachers that just want to leave people with thoughts, just want to leave you with a few thoughts, just want to tell you what you know. um, Something I've been meditating on. This book of the law, it's a book of instruction. It's a manual. If you'll do it, then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. You see any defeat there? Is there any room? Is there any uncertainty? God is giving Joshua as he goes out to fulfill his call. That there may be a possibility of defeat. No, none whatsoever. He's speaking in definite terms. No man. We'll be able to stand before you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads on will be land I give you. Psalm 1. Whoever does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, how blessed is he who does not stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, in his instructions, he meditates day and night and does it, he will be like a tree firmly planted by the river bank. He'll produce fruit in every season. His roots will never wither up. His leaves will never wither away. And whatever he does will prosper. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph. And Potiphar saw that the blessing of God was on Joseph. And that everything that was in Joseph's command prospered, multiplied, flourished, and grew. And increased. So, from those scriptures, I pray that you've been able to ascertain God's will for you is that you get victory. And whatever the predicament is, wherever you may find yourself... God doesn't, you might be in a sticky situation. You don't have to die in a sticky situation. That's why I tell people when I give an altar call, you may be living in sin, but you don't have to die in sin. You can come out of sin. You might be in a problem right now. You don't have to die in that problem. You don't have to be that Christian who 40 years from now is telling his grandkids, you know, I used to believe just like you guys until I figured out that, you know, sometimes, you know, God works in mysterious ways and we don't always know what's going on. We just know, you know, one day we're going to understand when we get to heaven. You're going to understand anything when you get to heaven. You're going to understand that you missed it. That's what you're going to understand. I'm not going to be sitting down with my grandchildren and great-grandchildren saying, hey, you know, I used to believe like you guys. No, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have them all around the table and I'm going to sit them down and I'm going to say, listen as I've served the Lord my God faithfully just like Abraham did with Isaac and Isaac did with Jacob if you'll serve the Lord your God faithfully as I have done he's blessed me he's flourished me he's increased me he's expanded me he's empowered me to do his work and fulfill his bidding on the earth and if you'll do the same as for me and my house we serve the Lord we tasted and seen of the goodness of the Lord if you'll do the same the same God that's protected me the same God that's helped me the same God that's favored me the same God that has enabled me to do and accomplish these things, the same God who has watched over me and protected and provided for me all throughout these years will be there for you. As I was with Moses, God said, I will be with you. I'll tell them as God has been with me, he will be with you only if you'll meditate on this word and do it. So I want to go through five marks of a victory mindset that will ensure that your life Is no worthy to the heathen. Where they say there's something different. That guy's on a different frequency. Because we've gone through the same battles that he's gone. But we never came out of it. But he always comes out at a higher level. He always comes out greater than he was before. He always comes out at a higher level of prosperity. A higher level of life. He always comes out prospering. Number one. Five marks of a victory mindset. You must have a faith perspective or a faith filter. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13. Listen to this. So they send the 12 spies out to spy out the land of Israel, uh, the land of the Canaan's rather, and they come back And they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. God said, the land that I'm sending you out to spy out is yours. It's your possession. Just go find out how to strategically take over. They weren't charged with the task to go and see whether they should go and take over or not. God never said, well, you go and see if you want to do it or not. No, he said, just go and find out how to do it. But I'm giving you that land. So when they returned, this is what they brought report of. They brought back word to the Israelites, and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Took six men to carry one cluster of grapes. So that was a great land. God has no desire. Salvation isn't a step down, it's a step up. God has no desire in making your life worse than it is right now. When you join hands with Jesus, he always brings you higher. Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you victory. Learn of me. My burden is... Is is uh, light and my yoke is easy. It's the devil that makes things hard. Jesus made things easy. Jesus gives you victory. The devil wants to keep you in failure. Jesus wants to bring you to victory. So he didn't. Get, he wasn't buffooning them by saying go into the land, and then they went to spout the land, and it was like desolate, dried up, parched ground, no fruit growing there, just sand. ...and desert. That's not what they saw. They saw a good land. God's not trying to fool you in life. God's not trying to make things complicated or mysterious for you in life. God's not. That's the problem. That's why people have a hard time believing God and obeying God. They don't believe. They don't sincerely believe. That God actually has a good plan for them. They don't sincerely believe that God actually wants to bless them. That God actually wants to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. That God actually wants to increase them. And as his uh, intentions set out for your best. You know, I know the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you and to bless you, not to harm you or destroy you. People don't actually believe that, and that's the main hindrance in obeying God. That's what they, I mean, listen to this. But the Ten spies said, we would rather go back to Egypt because they didn't trust God's plan. They didn't trust that God actually wanted them to be victorious. They thought God was some sadistic, twisted being that was that was like using them as a mouse in an experiment, a rat, an experiment rat, Don't have that complex about yourself and perspective about God. That you're some experienced rat and he's some sadistic scientist. That's how some people see God. God loves you. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The Bible says his perfect love casteth out all fear. Fear involves torment. People that are constantly bombarded by fear have not encountered the love of God to its fullest. Because when the perfect love of God comes into you, it casts out fear. It casts out the doubting that says, maybe God doesn't want best for me. Maybe God wants to keep me sick. Maybe God wants to keep me poor. Maybe God wants to keep me in this place. Maybe God wants to keep me down. Maybe God doesn't have... It's the maybe God. I know what His word says, but maybe God... That's the torment that when you experience his love, it casts it out. It removes it. And you start to see God as who he is. A loving father. Not a sadistic scientist. A loving father. He's not a child abuser. Bible says, if you evil parents know how to do good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father do good to those that ask? So they came back and they said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And it's this is its fruit. Nevertheless, be careful for the neverthelesses. Be careful for the buts in in, in especially the Christian, your Christian circles. Well, I know what the word of God says, but. Well, I know it's in there, but. Well, I know what he promised. Nevertheless, be careful, because it's always it's always followed by religious unbelief, and garbage. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and they just kept on spewing out unbelief. You notice how their report included the land? So they saw the good land, their report included the enemy, but their report did not include the one that's for them, God. God. And that's the report of unbelief. The report of unbelief is I see the, this is a, if we have a victory mentality, here's the, the defeated mentality. I know what the promise is. I know that this is possible. Nevertheless, the opposition's too big. They mentioned the opposition. They mentioned the object of the promise, but they failed to bring into account and to recollection the strength of their God. And the power of the hand of God that is on their lives. Caleb certainly didn't screw up in that area. Caleb quieted the people down and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. It's like that verse in Romans 8 if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, that's the Caleb spirit, that's the faith perspective. If God said I can have it, that settles it. I'm not going to let anybody talk me out of it. I'm not going to let anyone counsel me out of it. If God spoke to me that that's the victory that He showed me, then I ain't stopping till I see the fullness of that. You know, this is called the faith filter. You go on Instagram and you can do different filters. And you can, you, can, you can see yourself as a, I don't know, an avatar. You can see yourself as all kinds of things. You can, you can change the filter, get yourself glowing skin. It's all fake. It's all, it's all, it's not what you look like, but it is a filter that changes your perspective of who you are looking into that camera. Well, there's a faith filter you have to apply to everything in life. The world has no, fil- has no faith filter. The world sees everything through the lens of unbelief. But we as believers have this faith filter like Joshua and Caleb. They saw the same land. They saw the same giants. They saw the same fruit. They saw the same fortified walls. But they saw it through a filter. And it changed their perspective. They changed their, It changed their perspective. All the ten spies could see was the impossibilities of the situation. Faith's filter allowed Joshua and Caleb to see the possibility of it all. To see not only the possibility, but the reality that they're well able to overcome and take it. So you have to adapt this filter. Snapchat has filters. Put the filter of faith on in every situation you come in contact with. And don't even look at the situation without the filter or the lens of faith. It allows you to, the faith filter allows you to see the situation the way God sees it. Do you think God was in heaven saying, oh man, the giants really are big. Mm, uh, Man, I really uh, was outspoken this time. No, he knew very well what was in the land. He knew very well what was the opposition. He knew very well the size of the giant. But the equation was not Israel plus swords is greater than giants of Anak in Canaan. The equation was Israel plus God is greater than all. That's the faith filter. Me and God are the majority in any situation of life. I just feel like there's witches that are against me and I don't know what to do. Every witch can gather against you. Every sorcerer and and, and person of incantation can rise up against you and try and put spells of failure on you or whatever. You plus God is the majority. I don't don't care if every human being got behind me, but God was against me, I'd be a failure. I also don't care if every human being is against me as long as God is for me because I'm a victor as a result. Everybody can be against me, but God be for me, and I know I'm going to make it. Everybody can be for me, but God be against me, and I know I ain't going to make it. But the good news is, is if you're in Christ today, you're the beloved and God is for you, not against you. His hand is on your life. His favor is on your life. The blessing is on your life. And you're destined to hit the top. Caleb quieted them down. Let us go up at once and take possession for we're well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. Yeah, in the flesh. It's like the story of David. David sees Goliath. I'm going to kill him. No, you're not able to do it, David. You're just a youth. You're just seeing what man sees. But God looks not at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And if you'd have eyes of the Spirit, you'd see that greater one lives in me. Greater one lives in me. This is what Elisha... Elisha has an army come against him. His servant goes out in the morning to get the morning newspaper. Looks up. This is 2 Kings 6. He looks up and he sees a whole army out to kill Elisha, he runs back and he says, master, alas, we're done, we're done, so baby, this is the end of the line, let's go out in a grand style, I knew this day would come, you know what Elisha did, he went out, he saw the same army, see, same army, same swords, it's not like Elisha was like, man, my servant's got uh, schizophrenia now, he's starting to see things, uh, we're gonna have to decommission him and get a new servant, no, he saw an army, it's not like there was a fictional army, there was an army, Fear is not false evidence appearing real. That's how people have said it. It's false evidence appearing real. No, sometimes people have a real reason of fear. And you tell them that it's just false evidence. They'll slap you. Tell someone who's experienced a panic attack if the fear they're feeling is not real. They'll slap you right in the head. That's how I was. I had panic attacks. You tell me, that's, it's fake, it's fake. Just stop fearing, just stop. I slap you because there's an actual fear of certain things. It's not false evidence. There's a real evidence. There's a real devil. There's a real opposition. Stop mysticizing the Bible. The Bible gives you practical keys for practical defeat over real enemies. So Elisha goes out and sees a real army against him. What does he do? Father, give this man the same faith lens and faith filter that you've given me. Open this man's eyes up. And the Lord opened his eyes up. And what did the man see? He looked behind him and round about Elisha were chariots of fire and the armies of the angels of God. That's what the faith filter does. It, it, it doesn't blind you to the enemy and the opposition. It just opens your eyes up to the fact that there are more on your side than there are against you. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to write that on the, in the comment section. There's more for me than against me. Make that confession today. There's more for me than against me. I don't care about the IRS. There's more for me than against me. I don't care what the report says. There's more for me than against me. I don't care my employer is threatening to fire me. There's more for me than against me. All things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the faith filter. It shows you that me with God, it's an impossibility for me to fail. He's too faithful to fail. He's not going to start with me. He ain't going to start with me. So number one mindset of a victory mentality is having the mentality of faith. Guard your confession. Faith has a voice. Faith has a confession. Faith is expressed through your words. The Bible says in Romans 10, their voice has gone out into all the world and their words to the ends of the world. Your faith has words. Use your words. When you, when you, faith in the heart will do you no good. You have to speak it. Confession is made up to salvation. So don't just sit there quiet. When the devil talks, talk back. Don't talk, don't talk the way everybody else is talking. Don't use your tongue to decelerate your destiny. Use your tongue to accelerate your destiny. Don't use your tongue to magnify the devil and talk about the impossibilities. Do like David did. I'll magnify the Lord. I'll speak about his works and the marvelous wonders that he has done. If God, you know, it's funny because nobody's convinced. Nobody is convinced that God hears faith words they're convinced when you speak a swear word oh I shouldn't have said that lord forgive me everybody's convinced that God hears you when you're swearing and you're cursing why not believe that God hears you when you speak when you're speaking faith and making faith confessions why do you have faith to believe that God hears your your evil words but he has he doesn't hear any of your good words believe that God hears your faith confessions believe I mean, look at, what did God say in Numbers 14, 26? He said, as the Israelites have spoken in the hearing of my ears, so shall I do to them. But to Joshua and Caleb, who had another spirit, they're going to possess the land. God heard the evil report of the ten and the rest of Israel. But God also heard the good report, the faith report of the two. And he said, "There, they've entered into a, new, a whole different path because of their confession. So faith people um a victory mentality carries a faith perspective and a faith confession. And if you're going to have that faith perspective, you got to get the word of God built into your system. The word of God is a victory book. It has victory words and out of, when you store it up in your heart if you as you store up his word in your heart, it'll actually Give you a stamina to endure in faith. Number two, victory people. Hang around, victory people. Monitor who your close associates are. You could reach people that are are sinners and people that are weak in faith and they need help. You can reach them and you can edify them, but your inner three has to be guarded. Your inner three should be monitored. Your closest associates should be people that are on the same level as you or higher. And are have their eyes on the same price. Even Forbes magazine wrote an um, article years ago talking about you're the product of your five closest companions, that the five closest people around you that's, they said that scientifically or statistically, they'll be able to discern how much money you make, what kind of car you drive, and how big of a house you live in. That's just on a natural level. The same applies in the spirit. Show me the five closest associates, and I can tell you where you're at with God, how much you pray. And uh, how many souls you've won to the Lord. I hang around soul winners. I hang around faith people. I hang around people that have their eyes on the same prize. I hang around people that are victory people. That aren't, you know, when they call me, I have to take a bath or take a nap. Because they just drain you. I I, I hang around and I communicate with people that are constantly sharpening me. And I'm sharpening them. And we're growing up together in all things into Christ Jesus. Joshua hung around Moses. And there was an impartation. Deuteronomy says, the spirit of wisdom that was on Moses came on Joshua. He caught an impartation. Not only hang around people that are going where you want to go and desire to go. Hang around people either virtually or in person that are way ahead of you. And you can, I say virtually because you have now iPads and iPhones and YouTube and all kinds of resources you can just you can summon the greatest preachers on earth right now right on your iPod on your iPhone through YouTube The Bible says the companion of a fool will be destroyed so don't just disconnect from drags and weights in your life connect with people that are pushing you to holiness to victory pushing you to believe for more to reach for more to expect more, believing, uh, pushing you to be, to, to carry out the plan of God for your life. Connect with people like that. I have people that I I watch their preaching daily, daily. I'm listening. I'm sitting because they were a pace setter. They're pathfinders. They're trailblazers for me, and so I learn from them. I learn from their mistakes. I learn from their wisdom. The Bible says, be followers of them who through faith obtain the promises of God. Not explain away the promises of God. Follow them who obtain the promises of God. Discover people who are great and have great testimonies of how they became great in the area that you need victory in. And then identify and locate what they did. Pursue them until you pick up whatever they carry. That's what I do. If you need healing, that's why I always, I always give away healing the sick. The book. You need healing in your body? That guy's a giant of faith, Teal Osborne, when it came to divine healing. Find out what he knew about healing. Divine healing. Because he saw more people healed than anybody else, and probably in human history, throughout his ministry. So he knows a few things that we might not know. And so you study and read and absorb what he knows. Impart, that's what impartation, impartation comes on three levels. One, impartation comes through direct connection. So you know the person. But not everyone has the privilege of that. I don't know Bishop David Oyedepo. I never met Teal Osborne. But I've caught an impartation from his ministry. Why? Because though I've not been a close associate of his... You can catch an impartation through reading books and watching their sermons on YouTube. Some of you have caught the impartation from my life. Some of you, before you watched this broadcast, were messed up. And God, through the Word of God, spoken through my mouth, has enabled you. You've caught a spirit of faith. You've caught a champion's mindset. Some of you have been healed. Some of you have caught impartation in different areas. And it's the product of the word of God going out through this broadcast, the teachings of the word. Joshua caught an impartation from Moses because he was connected to him. So you need victory in the area of your finances. Find great men of God who have revelation on it. Read their books. You might not be able to meet them, but read their books. Discover their secrets. Apply their secrets. And see... The report of the Lord, the good report that will come your way. And then a third way you can catch impartation is by attending a meeting. So if they're still alive, I attend meetings every year. Certain great men of God that I sit under and I have them lay hands on me. Because the Bible says, I long to impart spiritual gifts to you through the laying on of my hands. To the end that you may be established. Romans 11 so I sit under their ministries, so that I can be established through the impartation received through the laying on of the hands. So victory people, find victory people. Don't allow just anybody to have influence in your life. Don't allow just anyone's words to come into your heart. Guard your heart above everything else, for out of it flows the issues of life. Pay attention to desire as well. I have to say this. If you, you need victory in a specific area, and all of a sudden you're drawn to a specific ministry. Whenever I'm drawn, there are seasons in life where I'm drawn to a specific minister, a specific preacher. And I just want to listen to him every single day. I'm drawn, there's, a, there's a draw, there's a magnetic pull towards them. I know now that that pull is because they have something that they're going to say, there's an impartation I'm going to catch from them that's going to give me victory in my pertinent need. So if you have a draw towards a specific ministry, pay attention to that desire. Because in doing that, they might have something to say. They might have already struggled what you're struggling with, and they obtained. They fasted and prayed and got the answer for it. So you don't have to go through the fasting and praying. You can get, the, you can just get the answer from their mouth. Number three, earmark of the victory mentality is stay away from sin. Hatred for sin is an earmark of every giant of faith. Joshua had a great promise, no man will be able to stand before you, Joshua 7 comes along, and Ai, a little town, knocked them out, knocked them on their butts, and Joshua cried out to the Lord, Lord, why is this happening, God said, there's sin in the camp, put away the accursed thing, or I'll no longer be with you, you can never arrive at victory, if you're holding hands with sin, you'll never move forward, if the current of this world keeps pulling you in the opposite direction, Joshua didn't have a light regard to sin. You know what he did to Achan? They stoned him and burnt their bodies up. He he showed that to all of Israel. The holy anger God has towards sin. You shouldn't have a light regard for sin. You shouldn't have this, like, how many of you know we all sin in every way, and you know, sometimes you know your sin might not look like my sin. Why are you smiling? Do you think God's smiling? When Jesus was nailed to that cross as a penalty for our sin? I don't understand it. There's this light mood. Light esteem towards what God hates the most. You, look, you want to know how, God, how much God hates sin? Look at what happened to Jesus on that cross. That's how much God hates sin. You want to know how much God hates sin? Find out how hell is described in the Bible. That's how much God hates sin. You can't tolerate it. Too often, we tolerate it. Preachers tolerate it. I just had a TikTok comment come in this morning. Woke up, read TikTok, bad idea, don't ever do that. And the guy wrote, use your platform, because my my tweet, or my TikTok was a, a tweet that I had put out, and it says, what did I write? I said, if the penalty for sin was paid up front, who would indulge in it? The wages of sin is what? Death. If that was paid up front, if you have to put the down payment, who would indulge in it? Nobody. You know what this person said? You should use your platform to spread the gospel instead of telling people that they don't have to sin anymore. What do you think the gospel is? The gospel is you don't have to sin anymore. Jesus died for your sin, broke the hold of sin off your life. The blood of Jesus now gives you dominion over sin and the Holy Spirit empowers you to say yes to God and no to sin from now on. What do you think the gospel is? The gospel is repent and believe. Matthew 3, John the Baptist said, bear fruit with repentance. For if you don't have fruit, God will cut you down and take you and burn you with fire. Speaking of hell. So the lighter you are on sin, the harsher it's going to be on you. But the harsher you are on sin, the lighter it will be on you. And the harder you go after God, the harder the blessing of God will come and chase after you. Hallelujah. Don't have this weak mindset towards sin. As if it's just, we. May, and I hate it. You have preachers, they don't even call it sin anymore. They call it a mistake. How many of you know we make mistakes? Call sin, sin. How many of you know, we've all made errors in our life. We don't use the word sin. There's there's actually churches where they won't let the preacher say the word sin. They'll warn the guest speaker before they go up. My friend has been to churches, and this is what they said. They don't use the word sin, please, and avoid using the word blood, like the blood of Jesus. Well, then, adios. I'm out. I will not even do your meeting. I might light a match and just burn the place down after. It's insane. Don't, don't use the word sin. Don't, don't, uh, don't use the word blood. Don't mention the blood of Jesus. Just say the grace of Jesus. Everybody's aff- afraid to offend everyone but God. Number four, mindset of, of victory that you need, to, you need to adopt into your life is be unmoved. This is important. Be unmoved by the opinions of others. King David goes to kill Goliath. What does he have? His brothers say, You you are a prideful and insolent person. You've come out to see the battle. Go back to tend the few sheep. He had to fight through the opinions of even his own family members if he was going to do great things for God. If you're going to do great things for God, you're going to have to learn to get thick skin. Pastor Ronnie Howard Brown says it this way, God will never bring you higher than the level of criticism that you're able to handle. God will never bring you higher than the level of criticism that you're able to handle. There's too many people that are cut short. They don't, they don't reach the high places that God wants them to go to basically because they aren't right. they're not They're not good at handling criticism. They're not great at handling offense. They get offended by everything. Dude, so-and-so said this about me. I just can't believe. Who cares? Do, bro, do you think David was like, oh, you know what, you're right. I'm just nobody I'm trying to serve somebody. No, he didn't, he didn't come up with these religious cliches. He ignored it. There were several attempts to get David not to kill Goliath, his brother. And you know why his brother was so mad bec- that he was going out to kill Goliath or he had a will, a desire to do it and was like actually going to act on it. What were his brothers? Soldiers in the army, that for 40 days heard Goliath say the same words and they didn't do squat. So when David comes on the scene and says, I'm going to get it done, it convicted them because David was going out to do the very thing that his brothers were charged to do but they didn't have the guts to do it. They were supposed to be killing Goliath. They were the ones that were supposed to be noble and rise to the occasion. They didn't. And so when someone came on the scene to do it, especially someone in their family, I'm telling you, you have to fight family members. The moment you start to go beyond where most people in your family have been, they'll they'll celebrate you up until you're at at their level. The moment you start to pass their level, they want to bring you down. They want you to come crash. Because they can't stand... They can't stand the fact that you're doing what they knew they should have always done. People who at one time desired to live in faith but failed to do so will oftentimes make it their life mission to discourage others from doing the very thing they know they should have done. I'm going to repeat that. People who at one time desired to live in faith but failed to do so and forfeited the reward of it will oftentimes make it their life mission to discourage others from doing the very thing that they should have done to get the victory they wanted to have the 10 spies refused to go up and fight for the land because they were not willing to sacrifice so when the two two other spies came up and said no 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 we can actually get it they picked up stones to stone them because they were afraid of losing their life whereas the two the two uh, Joshua and Caleb they didn't care about the risk see there's a risk There's a risk when you step out in faith. There's a risk, but it's not the risk that you think I'm talking about. People think risk as in there's a risk of failure. There's no risk of failure. To the world, you look like a risky person, but you have that inner assurance and persuasion that he that began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. Victory people take risks. And people who never took the risk will always try to make their voice and opinion known. David finally gets through his brothers. Then he goes to Saul. Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of themselves. I, your servant, will go out and fight this Philistine. What did Saul say? You're not able to do it. He's a warrior from his youth. You are just a youth. You'll get slaughtered. Oh, man. Saul's the king. He's been to battle a lot. He probably knows more than I do. You know what? See, the thing I love about David is David had a word from God and he didn't care about the word of man after that. That's what I love about Paul. Paul, the Bible says when he got saved, he didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't get everybody's opinion. When God spoke to you, look, there's, a, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. But find out who you're getting counsel from. Not everyone has your good in their heart. Not everyone has intention, good intentions for you. Not everyone wants to give you their counsel. They wanna give you a piece of their mind. They wanna discourage you. Like I said, because they never did what you were setting out to do. And so you have to be careful who you receive counsel from. There is wisdom in the multitude of counselors. But locate people. I have people that if I call and tell them, this is what the Lord told me to do, how can I get it done? They're not going to say, you sure God spoke that to you? You sure? I don't know. I don't see God saying something like that. Not in a time like this. You didn't call me. I didn't call you to, to, to get your opinion on whether God spoke or not. I know God spoke, and now I'm calling... To find out a great strategy. That's, that's who I call. I call people that I know when they pick up the phone, they're not going to say, they're not going to try and beat me out of obeying God. They're going to say, great, follow that plan. Here's some wisdom on how you can get it done. That's what the Bible says. There's a, there's a wisdom in the multitude of counselors. But if you don't have counselors and you just have complainers, there's no wisdom in that. They're going to they're gonna beat the faith of God out of you. That's what you see in Bible college. They go to Bible college, full of faith, ready to take the world. They sit around a bunch of people who've done nothing and done squat, and they get counseled into settling down. They go in. We want to win a million to the Lord, million souls to the Lord. Well, you know, when I was your age, I wanted to win a million souls to the Lord. They just strip them of life, strip them of ambition, strip them of 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 of. The excitement that comes with the word of the Lord. David didn't, he guarded himself against that. He told Saul, I'm going. Then Saul wanted to put his armor on him. Why do you think? Because if they looked out and saw Saul's armor, they would have thought Saul went to kill Goliath. Saul wanted to take credit for David's work by putting his armor on him. He wasn't trying to help him. He knew the armor was too big. He just wanted to make it seem that he was the one out fighting the the Philistine giant. And Saul was a tall man who stood head and shoulders above the rest. So he should have been the one going out to fight. He didn't. And then David comes before Goliath. And Goliath says, am I a dog? You come to me with sticks and stones. I'll kill you today. David was unmoved by the opinions of his brother, the opinion of Saul, and the opinion of Goliath. He was moved by what God's word says. This day I'll cut his head off and I'll feed his body to the birds of the air. For the Lord has delivered me from the paw of the bear and from the paw of the lion, and he shall deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. Today I'll cut his head off and feed his body to the birds of the air. So who, say, who cares? They say healing's not for today. God said, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. Who cares if they said prosperity's not for today? God's the one that said that the Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. Who cares if they say it's unrealistic to stop sinning? God's the one that said that you have victory and dominion over sin. Don't be moved by what man says, move with what God said. Let the word of God spun you to action. Many are, the Bible says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. Many are obedient, but they're not willing to put up with the criticism of others. And that's why they never rise high. I've made up my mind, I don't care what people think about me. I don't care when I do crusades and I have people there that shout and heckle and say all kinds of, I don't care. I don't care what they say on my YouTube, bro. You think I go on and read my YouTube comments and all the negative ones? I'm like, oh, how could I? If they just knew me. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care what they think. The Bible says the Pharisees saw Jesus and they said, Teacher, we know that you're a man sent from God. You teach the way of God in truth. And you don't care about the person of man. What they were saying is you don't care about people's opinions. And I want to be Christ-like. I want to have thick skin. I want to be unmoved by what religious Pharisees say. I want to be unmoved by what this world says. I don't care if CNN makes a mock piece on on me, I don't care if NSNBC makes a mock piece on me. I don't care if CTV News makes a mock piece on me. As long as I'm pleasing him, I don't care who I'm displeasing. I don't care. I want you to write that. I don't care. <laughs> Say, I don't care. Just write that in the comments. I don't care. I'm not going to care anymore. I'm not going to care I don't want people get. to get... Melissa all said, other people's heads is the wrong place to store your feelings. It's the wrong place to store your happiness. It's the wrong place to store your joy. Why are you storing your joy in somebody else's mind? Who cares? Get the spirit of I don't care on you. I'm not saying you don't care as if you're careless and mean and a jerk to other people. You care desperately for the souls of people. That for sure. You don't get calloused in that area. I'm not saying you should be a callous person. That's just a jerk frolicking through life. I mean, if someone just respectfully you know, you, you start to like Joseph, Joseph said his dream, his brothers came along and said, "You're you're a crazy one." They threw him into slavery. What did he do? He just weep? No, he did the best when he was in Potiphar's house and God brought him to the fulfillment of the vision. You don't care. Number five, and I finish with this, be unmoved with the place that you're at now. Bible says in Zechariah, chapter four and verse 10, do not despise the days of small beginnings, for the Lord delights in seeing the work begin. If you're gonna have victory, you can't keep complaining about how little you are now, how small you are now, how defeated you feel now, how wrong things are now. Stop talking about where you're at. Talk about where you're going. Use your mouth not to complain about the situation. Use your mouth and your words to create your victory, to create your breakthrough. Isaiah says, I, the Lord, create the fruit of your lips. So the fruit of your lips is what God will create in your life. Complaining, the Bible says, don't complain as they complain, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Complaining magnifies and magnetizes defeat. Use your mouth to usher you in, to triumph. Romans 4, Abraham considered not his body, which was as good as dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't complain. Sarah, you know, you're 89 years old. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we should just adopt. Uh, He didn't complain. The Bible says he did not consider his own body, but he grew strong in faith. Giving glory to God, meaning he used his mouth to glorify God, knowing that he was fully persuaded that what God promised he was able to bring to pass. Use your mouth not to consider your present situation, but to consider where God's taking you. That's what Joseph did. Joseph didn't use his mouth to complain in Potiphar's home or to complain in the prison. He kept talking about the dream, he kept talking about the victory. Don't talk about where you're now. Talk about where you're going. When I, you know, you hear preachers talk about the state of the world right now. Oh, man, we're too far gone. This generation, there's no They're so callous. They don't want to hear the gospel anymore. And those ministries never win anybody to the Lord. I don't talk that way. I talk the opposite. This generation's right. Go look at my post. This generation is ripe for the harvest. This generation's overripe for the harvest. This is the generation that will seek the Lord. This is the generation that's going to see the greatest move of God that has ever been witnessed. I don't talk about, I don't despise the day of small beginnings. Yeah, there's a remnant in the land, and it seems like darkness has overtaken the earth. We're in the small beginnings, but thank God, now we can see the work begin, and we can be used as integral instruments to actually bring revival. I thank God I I, I wasn't just born in this great revival and And that was it. I just lived through. I thank God that I can actually be used like Elijah was to bring a generation to the cross. What a time to be alive. That's right. Jasmine said Jonathan's crusade. Evangelist Jonathan Shelsberg just did a crusade in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania where they had like 1,800 people give their lives to Jesus in three days. 836 on night one people just flooding the altars and that's a man who's not sitting around with a bunch of preachers talking about how hard this generation is to reach you notice those guys all they do is talk they don't even do anything empty chatter leads to poverty Proverbs says but he that is diligent will, will bear rule empty chatter leadeth only unto poverty but in all labor there's profit I'm going to talk about it I'm going to work with God to see God move Hallelujah. Don't talk about the challenge. Don't talk about, don't talk about Goliath. Well, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. You know, I, you know, I know other people that were in very similar predicaments and, you know, here I, don't talk about that. Start to speak faith. If God is for me, who can be against me? He that began a good work in me, he's going to complete it. All things are working together for good because I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. The greater one lives in me and he's bringing me into great fulfillment. The Bible says that in righteousness I'll be established. The Bible says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Goodness and mercy are chasing me down all the days of my life. My my future is going to be all right because the Lord says, Say unto the righteous, all will be well with you. All will be well with me. Jesus already got the victory for us. I'm not striving for victory. I have victory, and that's why I can preach maintaining a victory mentality. Because if we didn't have the victory, I'd have to say how to get the victory. You already have the victory. What you have to do is maintain the victory mindset, the victory mentality. That's how you become a champion in the faith. Hallelujah. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do all these things and it ain't gonna work for you anyways because until you join the ranks of the champion of faith, Jesus Christ, you'll never become a champion yourself. There's a problem with men. It's called sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and only the blood of Jesus can wash us and cleanse us and purify us. Are you washed in the blood? Have you accepted The gift of heaven, which is Christ crucified. The Bible says he was laid down. He was was killed. Or he laid down his life because of our sin. And he takes it up again because of our justification. Jesus died for you. He didn't die for him. He didn't need his sins forgiven. We needed our sins forgiven. Have you accepted him into your heart? Have you made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Are your sins forgiven? The, pa- the, pr- the price and the payment for all the sins of the world has been paid, but you have to receive it on an individual basis. God doesn't have grandparents. It doesn't matter if your parents were Christian or your grandparents were Christian or your great-grandparents were was John Wesley himself. It doesn't matter. Are you saved? Do you have full assurance in your heart that Jesus is your Lord, that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that you're on your way to heaven? If not, you need to make this decision today. Some of you, you've gone astray, you've fallen off the rack, the tracks, and you want to get back in, get back in the game, put your hand back to the plow, like the prodigal son. It's not too late. The ark door is not closed. Noah, had, uh, Noah didn't shut the ark door. God shut the ark door. And man's not going to bring this age to completion. God will bring it to completion. But until that day happens, the ark door is still open. There's a preacher that said, I'm sure if, uh, if, if 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 we saw the other side of the ark door, it would be full of hand nail prints scratching on that door. When they saw the, because the Bible says they were just carrying on their own business until the day the flood hit the earth, and then they were carried away by the flood. They didn't believe Noah. They didn't believe that time was short. They didn't believe that the ark was closing. They didn't believe that rain was coming. They didn't believe. They don't believe that Jesus is coming back. But I know you do. That's why the grace of God has drawn you to this broadcast. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you have, but you've fallen astray and you'd like to come back on track. I want you to pray this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. Say this. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me with your blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong, and I will live for you all my days in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first thing that pops up is I just got saved. Click that link. Fill it out. I want to send something to you free of charge. A book, a Bible, a few other things that we're going to send to you. We pay shipping handling. We're not asking for your address so that we can mail you uh, our our plead for money. We don't, I'm not, we're never going to harass you for money. We're never going to assault you for money. We're never going to ask you. uh, We're never going to do any of that. I just want to send something to you free of charge. Salvationnow.ca slash give. Fill it out. I want to send that to you free of charge as a way to welcome you into the family of God. God bless you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Maokanji or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you and until next time.